When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! Podcast. My name is Sonny. I'm here with my co-host, Caleb. Hello! And we, before we get too far in, we want to take a moment, do all of our plugs, get that out of the way, that way we, that way we can get into the real meat of today's episode. So, a huge thank you to all of our patrons, Austin Johnson, Kane Martin, Damian Zink, Marshawn Jones, Master of Isa, Mr. Herbie's Witchcrafter Main 2022, AD, Aaron Gardner, Anthony Leela, Opelousa is a floodgate. Listen, I don't know who you are, but we're not friends, whoever you are. Opelousa is not a floodgate. It's a discussion for a different time. For those that don't know, you have to join our Discord server. It's been quite the debate for many months now. It's a meme. <sighs> it's annoying. Dank Nugs, Dank Nugs again, now with Dino DNA, Mountain Man, Myth Oceanus, Owen Alvarado, Pig, Rudolph, Sneaky Links, Chris Myers, MBT's Hard Leg, Ray Powell, Slaking It Up, Sunny Sweet, and Zyphorus. Thank you, all but one of you, for your continued support of the podcast. We really appreciate most of it. Um, But if you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, you can find the link to that in the description down below. As little as $1 to get your name shouted out in the podcast. And if you are interested in supporting us at no extra cost to yourself, you can find our TCG Player affiliate link in the description down below. Just click on it and then do your shopping as normal and we will get a small percentage back. Costs you nothing extra and it just supports the podcast generally. So... In addition to all of that, you can also find us in Discord. Our Discord will be in the link down below starting this coming Thursday. So six days from today, because this will air on Friday. Starting on Thursday, we will be hosting remote dual locals 
every Thursday in the server. They'll be free to enter. If you top one of the, our locals, you'll earn an invite to an invite-only tournament that will be hosted later in the year with prizing. So that is March the 17th. Yeah, that's the date of the first yes. locals. Okay, yeah. So free remote dual locals in our server every Thursday. And on today, the day of the podcast release, if you're listening to this, you can go on to Imperium Duelist right now and you can find our new playmat. It is up for sale. It is live today. Go check it out. Go to, um, we'll put a link in the description down below directly to our um to our playmat but huge thank you to imperium duelist for getting that playmat design on their website and putting it out there for sale and a huge thank you also to abyss that is her screen name that's what she goes by on twitter and on discord for the artwork it is awesome we love it so uh and i think that's it Oh, you can find us on Twitter at Top Cut Podcast. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm right. done with the plugs. Uh, so before we do anything else real quick, I do want to say, we know about the new cards. We're not going to talk about them, though. We have something a little more important. Yeah. We'll talk about them next episode. Yeah, so the new Labyrinth archetype, and I think there's one or two other little Lady of Lament cards and another yeah. card for the Mr. Rune archetype. Yeah, we'll talk about that next episode. We have something a little more important than that. Yes. So... Without further ado, we do want to introduce our guest on today's episode. Welcome so much, Mr. Hani. How are you doing today, bud? How's it going, guys? Uh, happy to be on here and uh, have the opportunity to uh, get into this with you guys. Epic. That is awesome. So for those that don't know, Hani is a extremely high-level duelist. He has numerous event tops. He has, uh, I think, one YCS win or two? Uh, one. One YCS win, um, but how? So okay, how about this? Why don't you walk us through your credentials? Because I don't know them as well as you do. Oh, I don't even know them as well. So uh, hold up, I have to pull it up on my Metafy. Yeah, sure. Uh, honestly, after a while, it's just like. Yeah, yeah, it kind of yeah. kind of runs together, huh? So, and for those that don't know, Hani is a coach on Metafy, and you will be able to find the link to his Metafy coaching in the description down below. Is that right? Is that yep. Yeah, uh, I'll definitely uh, give you all the plug. So, if any of y'all yeah. need coaching, uh, I am, I am down. I really do enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I teach you know up and coming players. I teach people that like want to get like seriously into the game and. Uh, want to get to like the highest notch of playing i teach pretty much any type of play style so um if you guys are interested for sure check that out uh but for my credentials i do got the list now uh, i actually have them all in order so um i topped ycs dallas uh in 2017 i topped ycs secaucus i got sixth place at ycs secaucus in uh 2018 I got sixth place at uh, NAWCQ 2018. I got eighth place at UDS Vegas. I got eighth place at YCS Atlanta. I got eighth place at YCS Portland. I got top 16 at YCS Niagara. I got first place at YCS Peru. I got 32nd place at YCS Pasadena. I got eighth place at UDS Tulsa. Top 16 at YCS Vegas. Uh, top 4 at the 
a remote dual YCS. And I got 32nd at uh, YCS Remote Vegas, which was uh, the most recent one. 31st, I think. Yeah, by 32nd, yep. Yeah, top 32, yeah. Yeah, that's... What was that, 13? 13 various tops. 13 yeah. premium event tops. That is amazing. Yep. I, while I was sitting there, listen, I was sitting there just... Yeah, Caleb was, Caleb was like counting them off on his fingers like, holy sh**, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's honestly crazy. It, it was, uh, it's been a journey for sure. You know, um, definitely a lot of hours uh, got put into that. So, yeah, you flew all the way to Peru to go win a YCS. <laughs> yeah, it was actually the crazy, uh, craziest experience for me. Uh, so we have time uh, if you want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so uh, going, going down to Peru, um, I was pretty much. I uh, pretty much been playing like nonstop, like nonstop. I was uh, on dueling book, and I pretty much grinded from uh, zero, like my rating from zero, all the way to number one. I pretty much created an alt account, got on there, and I grinded all the way to number one. And the reason why I do that is because um, it's just the best way of playtesting, and to just get on. Uh, get on dueling book and start from the bottom it, 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 all the way to the top it's the greatest way because in the beginning you verse like you verse you verse very odd decks in the beginning like you verse like random decks that you would probably like never ever see but the thing is like you get to learn about like these random decks that people like like might play uh, like one day and uh, you just get to learn a lot like grinding through the whole entire ladder of dueling book and then as soon as you get to like the like I want to say like like the top 100 it starts to get like pretty like challenging. You get to start versing like people that like have a good understanding of like what to do and like how the average person would play if you go to an event. So you pretty much just like get to verse the average player which you would you know like verse at every, like any event, right? So uh that's like like that's like the main thing like that i like try to grasp while playing so i pretty much just know like what to do when i go to an event because that's what you're gonna see once you get to the top 100 of like the ladder like you're gonna see like decks that you're gonna see at events so um you pretty much get to uh like play test against those type of decks and uh grinding all the way to number one it's just it's super hard it's super challenging uh, it's not as easy as people think people just think oh uh, if you just put in uh like a good amount of time into your day doing it you'll get to number one well like yeah you have to put a good chunk of time like it's not like oh i could do this for two two hours a day and it's done no no you have to like grind like right, grind right and to get to number one it's it's hard yes. it, it prepares you for an event so like when you go to an event you, you know every scenario like that's what it does like you know every scenario because if you played that much dueling book you like you're gonna know the scenario when it happens in real life and like that's why i like playing online and that's how i got like to where i am is because i played online the first couple of years when i played i pretty much just read the card pool looked into the past of the game i pretty much watched every single video that there was like uh, it, from the past in the game and then right. just played dueling book or dueling network at the time as well so I, I i did play on dn before it became dueling book and people you know like 
wouldn't know that because they only started hearing my name recently in the last like I want to say four years but before that people didn't really know who I was because I was I wasn't really playing IRL I was just pretty much just a kid just at home like on the computer seeing like how how the game pretty much got to where it was at and as soon as I caught myself up with the knowledge and the history of the game is then when I started taking the game seriously the original DB grinder <laughs> yeah so so I grinded dueling book nonstop but before getting to Peru uh, I just wanted to give you guys a backstory on why I did that right and right. it's because it prepared me the most for for the event or for any event like I try to do this for a majority of my events and honestly this was like the first event I did it and went like try to go to number one rated uh, I did it with my friend Kamal we both played a lot we played together he was currently banned at the time um, so he couldn't play but I pretty much uh, played with him and uh, even though he was banned he still was playing the game he still enjoyed it and me and him pretty much grinded the ladder together and we, we theoried the deck together and we pretty much came up with this Orcus deck going into that event. And going to right. the, going into the event, I had my friend Arnold who hadn't played in literally six months. And um, yeah, like he didn't play at all for six months. He played two games on Dueling Book with me. He played his Sky Striker deck against my Orcus deck. I scraped him. Like, just <laughs> smacked him up. <laughs> and he pretty much was just like, yeah, I'm going to play your deck. And then pretty much flew all the way to Peru after not playing for six months. No testing at all. Okay. Uh, ha have him go flying all the way to Peru. And I'm pretty much like, he's pretty much playing this tournament on a whim. He like, he, he's one of my teammates because this, this YCS that I won was a 3v3. Okay. And yeah. I had my friend Christian Urena who uh, was originally playing Orcus. He played it at YCS London. But he didn't do too well with it. Uh, um, there's a few reasons why. He made a couple changes to a list that I sent him. Not the correct changes. And uh, he pretty much thought the Orcus deck wasn't the correct choice. He was actually going to choose Thunder. Um, but later on, like throughout the tournament, or later on throughout like the weekend, he pretty much realized that, oh, I mean, like this deck isn't isn't the deck because like, I had my friend uh, Arnold and everybody in like pretty much in the house we were staying in playing the Orcus deck that I was been working on and yeah like Christian just kept getting scraped by the Orcus deck nonstop so he switched to Orcus deck as well that night we're right back to it to the yeah. version that we were playing so um, so, so you all basically me, piloted and, the same deck into yeah, the event so, yeah and all last minute so like my my boy Christian Urena switched last minute. Arnold Madabon switched last, or pretty much played the tournament right. on a whim. He played the tournament on a whim. Like, I'm talking about he he hasn't played for six months, so he, he's playing on Out a whim. Nowhere. So, you know, I'm pretty much going to, like, he's sitting at player A, so I'm pretty much just, like, on his side, like, the whole day for day one and day two, pretty much trying to walk him through everything, trying to make sure that he's playing correctly, you know. He's asking me a million questions. Like, it, it was crazy. He's asking me, like, a million questions during my match, playing two matches at once, pretty much, with my boy Arnold. So, <laughs> so. Shout out to Arnold. If you're listening, we appreciate you. <laughs> so, very, very challenging. Arnold's very good, though. So, like, he, he'll pick up he'll pick up the, the play very quickly. So, like, after a few rounds, he, he, he started catching on to things, and he was doing things on his own. And, you know, but 
but the first couple rounds it's rocky you know so yeah yeah very challenging stuff so um and going into this event going into this event i'm the most prepared for it my my teammates aren't so prepared and flying into this event i start having some issue like with my legs and pretty much like i'm getting blood splots all over my legs and i'm honestly just like scrambling like bro like this never happened i don't know if it's an allergic reaction or something no clue you know and this is before like this is on my way to peru you know wow i'm pretty much just like wow this is like really bad but like there's nothing i can do right now i'm just gonna have to continue and like i'm here in peru you know i have no contact can't get to a doctor don't nobody know nobody in peru my, my friend's from peru but he's like dude there's i don't know what we're gonna do and uh yeah the next day i i go to day one pretty much the friday uh pre-reg of the event and then like a few doctors come check like few Yu-Gi-Oh doctors pretty much check in on me and pretty much um from there like we were unsure what it was but like pretty much if i was like if i was standing for a long period of time my legs were hurt so pretty much i got assigned seating for that whole event wow and then pretty much got assigned seating for like literally every other event after that as well because like the issue didn't stop until like literally like after COVID hit like the issue just stopped i don't know what it was but um yeah it was an issue that i was dealing with honestly and it was kind of crazy i don't know what it was still don't know what it is to this day um I glad it's gone see, though, huh? yeah well, oh i went to multiple doctors went to specialists and uh there's i went to the specialist for uh like legs and uh pretty much like there's like 10 doctors in the room and that are just like yeah well we want you to come back for like uh come back for like an experiment where you go into this room and you walk around for about an hour and we pretty much uh see what the reaction to your legs are and then and then pretty much COVID hit and that never happened and that was the end of that and then it just went away went away so i was just like okay Jeez. nice so so hey. that's so all that's happening like like this thing of my life's happening literally first time while i'm in peru scrambling teaching my friend how to play his deck uh or play, or play the deck period you know mid event and it was just a, a crazy experience um and yeah we ended up going undefeated in swiss and then undefeated in top cut and winning the whole event and that was it so Dang, that's mean, legendary talk about like, overcoming adversity jesus like i'm talking about it. it was insane it was insane like that weekend was crazy to me so i mean yeah like it was definitely just a wild weekend for sure like to me that I, I think like that was probably just one of the most wildest weekends and i won like the weekend it was just so crazy well i was like okay in peru in peru all in a different country so yeah i'm like nice. in a different hemisphere yeah so i'm like nice this is this is wild um so, so that kind of actually uh, something you said when you were talking about that kind of made me think about one of the questions we actually wanted to ask was um you kind of mentioned that you had you were talking to uh, christian urena and he was saying that he felt that thunder dragon was the correct deck to play for an event when it actually wasn't things like that so it kind of makes me wonder do you think that there is an exact correct 
deck choice or a correct way to build a deck because i know that there's kind of two schools of thought there's the one school of thought which is that there is a like i like you know the word it like the keyword there's correct you know that there's like a correct deck with a correct build and a correct choice yeah and you're you're running these exact 44 uh 40 to 60 cards all right and if you're not say, running those exact cards you're doing it no, wrong right no. okay so exact cards i wouldn't say per se because there because there's always going to be a difference and like i don't think that like exact cards matter too much but what does matter i do believe is the deck choice that you choose to play at the event and and yeah i think there is a correct deck to, to play at an event because there's always a deck that's better than the other in my opinion and, and like and like and there's and there's certain formats where it, that doesn't apply to and right now currently in Yu-Gi-Oh, that's this format that we're in currently like yeah like like right now th there is no best deck in my opinion there's just a there's multiple good decks that accomplish the same thing and um like right now it's pretty much like scythe dpe or my or my deck doesn't lose to droplets my deck ends on a big board and my deck's playing rights of hermasia and my deck's playing hyco fiber x to do the combo my deck's playing dpe plus uh plus dagda to set scythe like th these are all the same decks in different forms like like all right. of them all of them right now are just like that and then and then there's a and then there's someone that's just as wild as, as me and we play something totally different that <laughs> no one expects right like we play a we play a deck that's 15 hand traps plus a plus a really good engine and yeah. that's and that's what is like a correct choice per se as you're speaking right. about that's a correct choice because you you're you're, you're i didn't put i didn't put it on a dice i didn't put it on a roll in this format you're putting on the dice you're putting on the roll when you play these combo decks when everybody's playing these combo decks because every deck is accomplishing the same thing so every deck is a dice roll right now and if you can take a look at the format you see that every deck right now pretty much gets hard stopped by two hand traps and sometimes sometimes they open a good enough hand that plays through two hand traps but the odds of that happening are very slim and like right. to, to see that happen like to know that you have to play like a good amount but like once you play a good amount and you could realize that that's how the format's pretty much shaped so what me and pack try to do is play more like consistent engine because these decks right now aren't engines they're just like piles thrown together it's like brave engine plus dpe engine plus my third engine right and it's just like it's just a pile of cards that like don't work together per se just pretty much throw your hand on the board and you're just like beat this and if you get interrupted it's just like okay now i'm playing a pile of just random cards literally like that's what the base deck is like if they get interrupted on their first like two plays then they're just playing just a r bunch of random pile of like cards that try to make like interesting cards in the extra deck like verte and dagda right so like it's it's and, and fiber like their their whole deck is surrounded by making verte and fiber and like those are their lines like the, that's their deck verte and fiber is their deck like there is no engine and right. like this in the sword soul deck and the ddd deck that pack played they both had like like a legitimate engine where 
there's recovery plays and there's lines later on in the game and you can outgrind your opponent as in these other decks that just doesn't happen as often and these other decks multiple feel, they feel less like decks with like a consistent and cohesive strategy and like a like because like when you play the sword soul tinny deck for i mean i'm just gonna be honest while we're sitting here i've got a extremely similar list to the one that you piloted to top 32 because i'm just gonna be honest i can't afford the adventure package and the, you know i've got this this sword soul tinny deck in front of me and it's just like if every hand feels like there's a plan right every hand feels yep. like there's like an actual outline thing that i want to do not just with my extra deck but also with the main deck there's a well there's just no other way to put it there's a plan whereas yep. these pile decks it feels like their plan is not to play 40 really good cards their plan is to play 15 really good cards in the extra deck and a bunch of cards to get them into the extra deck yes that's exactly what the format is like they're just like trying to make the, the, they're trying to make the card in the extra deck the in the most consistent way possible <laughs> like so yeah. like there's people that are playing like the e-telly package with the punk card because that makes because that makes uh hulk of fibrax by itself right right so uh and like people are playing like cards that get to cherubini because cherubini dumps, dumps the adventure chick and like people are playing ways to get to fiber faster like that's what the like the game plan is for like the majority of the people I like right. that and, for, and like that's the format like that's the format that we're in right now so like so like what my goal was is to play a deck that can play the most amount of hand traps in like the, the the best engine and i thought that was sword soul and and pack thought that was dd i thought they were right. both great choices and the third choice to me was dragon link that was the third choice if i was gonna play a deck for the for the for the tournament and the reason i decided on sword soul is because the deck does like does so much when you like when you break it down the deck actually does a lot like and and no much simpler way like everyone's doing like these 10 minute combos well like long yawn plus moye is literally draw two cards plus four interruptions so literally trust me i know yeah i've been playtesting against caleb and it's just this this deck is crazy it's like you open at least one hand trap basically every hand and you open two hand traps like half the time or more and then you always have like two to three combo pieces. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And there I am so, sitting with my hand full of go and it just goes right into a brick wall usually. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing that I was aiming for. I was not trying to brick and I was trying to play the most consistent deck in the room and everyone's playing like eight to ten bricks in their deck or even more in their decks. And I'm just like, yeah, there's no way I'm doing that because like I played a PPT like two weeks before the YCS and I lost in top four because I purely bricked and the last event I played and I purely bricked as well and like this event I was just like I'm not trying to do this again I'm just not trying to brick and, and top cut and crazy enough Man. I didn't brick and top cut this time like I didn't brick and top cut this time and I didn't lose to anything I thought I should have lost to I don't think I made an incorrect play this time I just think that this time variance got the best of me and like that's like the craziest thing I would ever say because I can tell you right now that there was there was 11 events that I put like that I was in top cut and I either lost to myself or I bricked. But there's only two events I can say that never happened. And it's obviously the one event that I won 
and then this event where I just lost a pure variance. Like this is the first event I could ever say that. Other than that, I would tell you that I would have messed up or I misplayed because down the line, that's the game of Yu-Gi-Oh. You either mess up or you hard brick and hard brick rarely ever happens. Like, like, like people can say like, oh, I bricked and it was over. That rarely ever happens. It's usually like you mess up. Unless it's and, incorrect deck building, right? Yep. Oh yeah, or incorrect deck building because like breaking le leads usually is it like leads to incorrect deck building majority of the majority of the time. Like the root issue of bricking is the deck building. Yeah. So, man, yeah, and this, I, I thought, man, you said five six bricks, and I went. I thought I was crazy for running three. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I hate running bricks. Like, but like, dude, like, there's a lot of bricks in people's decks currently. If you could just like break it down, uh, like you could just count them all out. It's crazy. But yeah, this is the first time I've like ever lost a variance, and uh, and honestly, like, it was just meant to be for this event. Like, I like I knew, I knew Polly was like winning the event. Honestly, as soon as he pretty much made top cut, you know. I yeah, spoke yeah. about it for years, literally for years, like, like no exaggeration for years. I've known Polly pretty much since the four years I've been playing competitively. We've been speaking to each other consistently. And he pretty much just, I always just told him like, dude, the moment you make top cut at a YCS, you're going to win because the amount of times he had bubbled or he had almost made it there or he was one win away from making top cut. It just never happened. It was never his day. He, he never got there, but he always used to top these big regionals or these ARGs or these these other like other events that weren't YCSs or big events. So I knew that one day whenever he made it to top cut, it would just be his. It would be his day. It would it would literally be his day. And it was. <laughs> I mean it was. And I knew for a fact it was after I lost. I was like, damn, it really was because I have never in like my four years of playing competitive Yu-Gi-Oh lost to like pure variance. I mean, yeah, just pure variance. It was crazy. I mean, like, I, like his hand was picture perfect. I'm talking about it's Gammon and Biru, Red Rose Dragon, Rites, Magician Souls, and a 60 card deck. That's just like pi picture perfect. Yeah, that that it doesn't get much better, bro. So, <laughs> so you know, I mean. And I felt like I played that game out of my mind, and I, and he also just played out of his mind. So like, like it, it was it was crazy. Like I played that game to my the best of my ability. Like I'm talking about, I, I I had three sources of interruptions, and I just couldn't beat it. His hand was just so good. His hand was yeah. just so good, way too good. So so some of the other questions that we want to get into you've actually talked a little bit about but we kind of want to just ask it more directly that way we can get more of a direct answer um so when you're going into an event how do exactly you choose the deck to play so i know this time you said you chose consistency and over like that maybe that incredible power ceiling um is that something that you always factor in or is it sometimes do you go for the power um, ceiling no, you know what i mean i always factor in consistency and like that's the number one thing I factor in actually is consistency, and um, I'm not a very big fan of bricks in my deck. And like that's why you've seen like like me not play like the the top deck this format is because the amount of bricks. I feel like in a combo deck, it's not very good to have multiple bricks because it, like your deck is trying to accomplish like an end board, 
And if you play way too, if you play multiple bricks, like you lose to single interruptions sometimes, or sometimes you just pass turn. And like, I feel like that happens a lot, this format where your hand's really good sometimes or your hand's really bad. So like, uh, like when I'm trying to build a deck, it's pretty much just depending on the format, like this format, I would go for a more uh, like control base, like, or a more like mid range deck, like sword soul, where you're playing multiple hand traps plus a good engine. And then like in a format, let's go, rewind to, uh 2019 2019 ycs portland where i played going second orchest where everybody in the room is playing like thunder dragon right but thun they're playing thunder dragon like combo danger thunder dragon danger okay and their end board is diablos rip a card out your hand levianir rip a card out your hand uh a rank eight uh like hope harbinger heretic seal you know a hot yeah. red and uh, at the time, people also ended on Galatea with Crescendo on the board because they were playing that package in their deck as well. Everybody was. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I decided to go second that event, and everybody's playing that. And it worked out. I literally won every match against Thunder. Why? Because I decked out every single one of my opponents with a card called Mystic Mind, a card yeah. that nobody expected, a card that nobody respected at the event at all talking about there was nobody playing it out and if there was a single out it was a it was the random guy playing imperial order in his main deck but seven times out of the tournament i had decked out my opponent at that event why because i made the like i made the read nobody was playing mystic mind going second was the move because everybody thought going first was the move and <laughs> it was just like it was just the craziest like turn of events like it, it was crazy and the way i lost in top eight is because i tossed i misplayed so bad I misplayed so bad. I I tossed out like I pretty much tossed out the tournament. I think that tournament was literally meant to be for me, but I had tossed in top eight, so that's what it is. The deck was yeah. insane. If I can go back to that format, I'd play it again. Deck was literally insane. I'm talking about baits out interruptions, puts Mystic Mind on the board. Or or, you know, like uh that's not the only game plan I had. Uh bait all my opponents' interruptions make make phoenix or nightmare cerberus bait out the last interruption and then turn that into nightmare mermaid which literally summoned any orcus out my deck and allowed me to do full orcus combo and gain advantage that way and win so yeah orcus, i recognized man. orcus was the best deck at port at ycs or not uds indie because I had just came back from Lebanon. I had very little playtesting. I, I played the Thunder, the Danger Thunder Dragon deck on a whim at that event. I disliked it a lot. I looked I looked around the room the whole day. I read this card called Vashuda. I, I read this card called uh, Vashuda, which is now played in the Tenny deck, but in...
in that burial an Orcus card. I get to do the window lock sometimes with Dingirsu. I was just like, this this is just too good. That's that's hilarious. I see we came into the game around the release of Toon Chaos. So like we actually we missed all of Eternal Format. We we weren't around for any of that. Yep. Um so I made the read like crazy for that event, and I am talking about like crazy. Every round I went into, it was with the quickness. I'm talking about I went X1 that whole event, like I and I lost in top cut, but it was just such like it was like it was like a walk in the park because when I made I made such a good read that like I was breaking through any board that was put up. Any board. You name it, any board that was put up, I was breaking through it, I was winning the game. And like the amount of advantage the Orcus card brought was absurd and I realized Orcus was the best deck and I played it from that event all the way till Pasadena and I had a, gotten a W. I had gotten three tops with it. It was just insane. So technically I had gotten four tops and one was a win with, or three tops and one was a win. So four tops total with Orcus. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot now about, you know, the main deck. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk for a second about the other thirty percent, like thirty some odd percent of the deck. The other fifteen cards, the side. Um, how do you personally like go about like deciding what cards need to go to the side, what cards I should probably actually main? Uh, in reference to, like hand traps and stuff. Oh, uh, you know, what hand traps should I just not run this time? Things like that, especially considering two thirds of, you know, I, well, it shouldn't be two thirds of your matches, but. Yeah. You know, or two-thirds of your games, but realistically, as much as two-thirds of your games could be played after side-decking, so it makes it so critical, yeah. right? Uh, worst case, like, best, absolute best-case scenario, half your games are sided. Right. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, this is um, how I usually go about side-decking, because this is definitely the hardest part about Yu-Gi-Oh! for right. pretty much anybody in the game. That's uh, I coach on MetaFi, so the number one question I get asked on a daily basis is, how do I side deck? And it, it's, it's the hardest one to answer because like, there's a lot that goes into side decking. And, um, when you're in a, like when you're, it, when you're building your deck, it, what are you like, what are your best matchups is pretty much like what I try to figure out when I'm playing my deck. Okay. My best matchup is this. So when, when I'm side decking, I need to work on X matchup. So after that, I have to see uh, like what card beats that matchup. And then I decide what card to put in my side deck. So like if I'm in a format where I believe that Eldritch is going to be an issue, then I'll probably play three lightning storm and then red reboot and like in my deck, in my side deck, correct? But if yeah. I notice that people are playing the heavenly sky prison in their deck in their eldritch deck then i'm probably gonna take those cards out and put multiple cosmic cyclones plus red reboot because or now even, i know right. people are playing heavenly sky or heavenly prison in their deck so like that's like that's how you want to like go about it and then like let's say this format specifically oh well everybody's playing combo so what what did pack do look at pack side deck from this event he didn't play any spell and trap removal. Why didn't he play any spell and trap removal? Because he thought there was not going to be any spell and trap decks. And what was he correct about? There wasn't any spell and trap card decks. He only versed combo. He only right. versed combo. 
Yeah, I don't think he. If you go, if you go back and watch his deck profile and watch his tournament breakdown, I, I don't think he played a single control deck the entire event. Yeah, which is surprising. So, so he, so he made the correct read. He read, he read that nobody was going to play trap cards. He read that everybody was going to play combo. So he just played a bunch of cards for the combo decks. He played almost every single hand trap there was. Right. <laughs> like, literally, this. It's just making the read. It's making the correct read. Looking at the format, knowing what your hardest matchups are going to be, and like, and like, when you're side decking, you, you should be thinking of the cards that you want to take out of your deck and put into your deck, like while you're side decking. And then if there's like an uneven amount of cards, and you're like, well, man, I really want to take this card out my deck because like it's not good in this matchup, and you have the extra deck or you have the side deck slots to put an extra card in for that matchup then throw an extra card in for that matchup and then make it to where your your side patterns are better and like i literally did that for this event like i played one bell in my in my side deck which i never really do but the reason i did it is because you know i need this card against prank kids it's not that bad against prank kids it's also not that bad against like the brave decks like the water enchantress decks so like I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna put, I'm gonna side this extra one, like this extra bell in, and it helps with my side pattern when I'm siding in against that specific matchup. So, and what like, about when you're siding out? Because a lot of times I find myself where I'm like, man, I've got like eight cards that would be great in this matchup, but I've only got like four or five that I want to pull out, right? So, like, yeah, like, the, okay, um, I rarely try to take out my engine. I rarely do. And like, I know that sounds crazy, right? Like what, like you rarely take out your engine. So what are you taking out your non-engine card? So like in some matchups, yes. Like like in this in this format specifically, if you look at my, my deck that I topped with, I played 15 hand traps and like I did the math on the deck. So I knew the math of drawing a hand trap against my opponent was gonna be 50% chance to draw two and a 90% chance to draw one. So right. I was okay with those odds for either of the games, game one, two, or three. I was okay with those odds. So majority of the time I was taking out those non-engine cards for other non-engine cards and just having the perfect 15 non-engine cards for that specific matchup. And that's what I was doing the whole tournament. I wasn't taking out a card out of my engine. Like sometimes I would take a card out my engine if it was really necessary or I'm like, man, I really want the extra hand traps against this matchup because like it might be an issue. Like I like like they're they like I don't want to get scythe DPE'd. So like I really want to play like these extra hand traps in this matchup. So I, I would take out like a circle, like one circle, because in that matchup specifically, circle doesn't do anything if I'm getting scythe DPE'd anyways. I take out one Moye because I know like my opponent has like like place fog blades and stuff. So I don't want to keep like I don't want my starting play to be a normal summon. I'd rather start with a tenny card. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, sometimes I'll take out the one blackout or or just like whatever I felt like was I mean like I feel like sometimes like call by the grave like in certain matchups I'll take out but like in that matchup I kept it in so in that matchup I would probably just like have taken out the circle taken out a moye and taken out the blackout and put in three better cards because like those cards don't really I like they're good but I don't really need them that much in that matchup so yeah, uh, that's yeah. how it cut. But usually, it's cutting my non-engine for engine, or uh, my non-engine for more non-engine, is what I usually do. But that's for this deck specifically. In other, 
and other decks, it's different. Like, th there's going to be times where you're playing nine hand traps in your deck, and you're versing another combo deck, and like honestly, like you're gonna want 12 hand traps in your deck because it, the math changes drastically. 12 hand traps in 40, you have a really good percentage. I could do the math, but I would have to pull out the math, like the calculator. I used uh, Yu-Gi-Oh Party, and you could pretty yeah. much do the math yourself. And like that's what I usually do. I do the math on like what the percentage would be if I sided in this many cards, or what the percentage would be if I had this many cards in. So this way, like now I know going into a certain matchup i want this percentage of drawing a hand trap and yeah, like that's yeah. the, that's how you're supposed to side deck like it's the math you know the math you know that the, the percentage of you drawing the hand trap if you don't draw it you know you know the percentage of you not drawing it so it's fine it's it happens yeah yeah so, so. before we get too much farther i want to take just a moment before we forget I want to do a short ad read, won't take but just a second, and then we'll get back into the main content. But a huge shout out to our sponsor, ETB Games in Alexandria, Louisiana. They are our locals, and they are, of course, gracious enough to sponsor the podcast. So ETB Games is a wonderful place where you can get all of your trading card game needs for all of the major card games. You can get everything you need for Yu-Gi-Oh!, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Digimon, whatever card game you're playing. You can get your sleeves, deck boxes, singles, sealed product, you mats. can get binders, play mats, whatever. They also have a thriving tabletop gaming community where you can get everything that you need for things like Warhammer, things like D&D, things like Pathfinder, whatever you need, painted figurines, pre-painted, non-painted figurines, the paint for the figurines, the books to play them, the mats to play on, tables, rooms to play in, everything that you need. You also have a great video game community. They run different tournaments for different fighting games and everything that you can think of, as well as just a great environment. They also run tournaments for all of these card games. So... With that said, be sure to check out ETB Games. Their link is in the description down below. There's also a link to their TCG player page on their website. And let's get back on into the podcast. So you've talked a little bit about your use of um, your side decking when it comes to more side deck heavy or more hand trap heavy decks. Because I would say that in some decks like nine hand traps would even be a lot like if you go back about uh nine months ago now if you look at that format where it was like the best decks were like tri brigade and drytron if you look at that drytron deck a lot of them were playing like 35 to 37 engine cards a lot of times you know they were their main hand traps were really only the herald yeah. of orange lights yep because in specific in, in specific formats it changes up and you're absolutely correct. There's formats where you're going to be like, well, you know what? Hand traps really do suck. And you know why? Uh, you know why? Because there's decks that like that are so prone to hand traps that it makes them like sort of irrelevant. And like and like in those formats, like you would rather play board breaker cards such as Lightning Storm, Droplets, Dark Ruler, no more. And those were the cards that people were playing in the formats where decks were so prone like to hand traps for where they're just not even being affected by them like they're neg ones and it was just much easier to play a board breaker card and crack your opponent's field and like that that only works out in formats where there's cards that don't have blanket effects and when i mean blanket effects i mean cards like scythe and i mean cards like vfd like those cards right. are the reason why like like those board breaker cards just like suck majority of the time right right 
So next, I want to talk a little bit about the work that most people don't see for these events, which is the playtesting. Because what a lot of people don't see is for every weekend that you spend at a YCS, topping a YCS or a UDS or a PPG event or whatever, there's dozens of hours that go in to playtesting nonstop, learning the format, learning the other decks, learning what cards are good, learning what cards to hand to side deck and when to hand trap, things like that. Um, trying out various spice techs to see if they're actually any good. Right. Things like that. So the this is kind of a two-part question. So what I'm kind of wondering here is how much time do you think that you spend on playtesting on like a per week or per month basis? And when you playtest, do you more front load your playtesting or do you back load it, right? So do you playtest more um, well Ahead. before an event? And then kind or of take your time, before. or do you play test a ton right before? Yeah. Okay, those are two very good questions. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, they, it was it was a lot of question to throw at you at once. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so for play testing, what do I do? Well, when I prepare for an event, um, I pretty much play Yu-Gi-Oh for money. And I play tournaments. And this is this is the only way I play test, actually. I do not play test against my friends very often. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I play against my like my teammates. They want to play a couple games. I play. But very often, I do not play my team. I do not play my friends. I usually play people for money. And I play tournaments. And why do I play tournaments? And why do I play for money? Because it makes me take the game way more serious. When there's something on the line you're taking the game to a whole nother level and you're trying your hardest to win. And in, in those games, you learn a lot because if, if you won, you could look back at the replay and you could see like, like why you won. And if you lost, you could look back at the replay and be like, well, like the reason why I lost is because of this, this, and this. And like, you look back at your losses that way. Usually when you're playing for fun, it's just like, oh, we played for fun. It's whatever. I'm done. I'm not even going to think about it. But when you're playing for money, you're like, like, you're always wanting to improve because I don't stop. Like, I'll play nonstop. Like, I'm talking about I'll play for money, like, the first week of a format. And I'll literally lose, like, a couple hundred bucks. And then I'll play, like, nonstop the next week. And I would win it all back. And I'll win more on top of that because... At that point, it's just like, I just played for this many hours, like learning and trying to get better. And that's what I do. I, I play for money and I try to get better. I try to get better and I try to get better. And if I misplay, I, I realize my misplay. I, I look over the replay and I, I take accountability for misplaying. And I, I try not to make those like same mistakes at the event. And like I learn from my mistakes every single time because I'm playing for money or I, because I'm playing on tournament and there's something on the line. I'm taking it more serious. And it's like you're playing Yu-Gi-Oh! at the highest level at all times. And that's pretty much what I try to do. I try to play for something at all times because that's how I'm going to improve. Like, that's how I'm going to get better. And, like, that's how you're going to learn. And, like, he, honestly, like, it's just insane. Like, it sounds crazy because, like, a lot of people are like, damn, well, like, I don't have the money to, like, you know, to do that. And, like, I understand, like, that that's a factor. But, like, there are free tournaments, like that people host and like I would try to play in every single free tournament that there is or like because that's what I did when I was starting like 
when I, I started as like at the age of like 14 playing like online like crazy you know like even maybe even 13 and like i played in these free tournaments and i try to get better like like i'm, I'm talking about i'm going way back into the past when i was playing literally like tournaments that were free when when beals first dropped like the synchro dark level eight like and i remember that like playing in free tournaments playing like a deck that turbo that card out i remember all that stuff that i used to do back then and that's how i got better i tried to play tournaments and then sooner or later i figured out that there were online tournaments there were just online tournaments facebook tournaments and now crazy enough i run those tournaments now but before like like i was trying to play in them non-stop why right because I was trying to get better. I was trying to first the best. And like and at the time there was great players playing playing online. Like I'm talking about there was great players playing online. And like eventually like people just uh, you know, people just either slowed down or they're not playing as much. Like I mean obviously because events like have gotten canceled, but now it's just now it's just like uh pretty much a good online base. It's not like a compet like the like top players as before because before this like top players used to play like when events were like happening but now it's more like a big online scene and like honestly like i feel like a lot of like of players like even like just top players are like intimidated to play in those tournaments because of, like because like there's a lot of like players like in the last like year that have like gained a lot of knowledge and have became really good at the game and like that's and like that's like the truth behind like covid like has made a lot of players like really good yeah like, yeah like and like a lot of players have improved which is which is like great like i think that's amazing and like that's the reason why i like i like running online tournaments is because you see people like like accomplish things and get better and like people have something to look forward to and, and to improve and like honestly like that's what tournaments do like I, i'm talking about that's literally what tournaments do because every person like like every person that i know now is known because of a tournament right. right like like when somebody gets introduced to me it's because they did well in a tournament which is like which is like wild because like an irl interaction like i don't care if you top the tournament you know like but like that's just how the game is like everybody just speaks upon people that have top tournaments so yeah. how do people get recognition uh you know recognition through tournaments you play a lot of tournaments you start off with free tournaments you grind up you start playing these five dollar tournaments ten dollar tournaments eventually you're playing lcs's you're playing bigger events you're getting better you're, you're accomplishing something you make a goal and you accomplish that goal and you beat it until you get to the top like and that's what i did dude played free tournaments played like cash tournaments online try to win those tournaments after that tried to like go to like like play other online tournaments and win those. And then after that, I wanted to travel to all these events and play in all these events and win these events. Like it's just motivation. It's literally just the best way of like getting recognition and the best way of playtesting. Like this is literally the best way of playtesting. And like the amount of hours that you put into it is literally, it's literally just for me, it's probably like, I want to say, like, for this last event, I, I rarely put in hours. I'm going to be honest with you. I rarely put in hours. It was more theorying. And uh, all the hours I did put in was playing for money and, like, 
and playing tournaments. Probably for this one, like I want to say the, it was majority of like six hours plus like a bunch of other tournaments, like all, like IRL tournaments for this last one only yeah. because uh, like I, I rarely had time for this event because I was just so busy with my like, like with my personal life. So I just didn't have that much time. Yeah. But for the other event that I had topped recently as well, it was the YCS remote I had gotten fourth in. I had put I had put a lot of hours into that one. I want to say I pulled it. I put in at least like I want to say like forty hours. Like at least I want to say at least maybe even I don't know maybe even more. I just know I was playing like I was playing like ridiculous amount of times for money, like ridiculous. Like uh, like I'm talking about Iron Man's one v ones. Yeah. Like, and if anybody from Konami is listening, uh, this is all in non-official settings. <laughs> this is all. On yeah, the side. this is all. On, this is all on dueling mode. Like, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, pl I, I know it's like I know some people frown upon it, but like honestly, like it's only frowned upon. Like, like it, I don't even see it like anything wrong with it. It's just the. I feel like it's just the best way for me to to get like better at the game like sometimes when the stakes are the highest is when you care the most right money, like that's fine like uh, it's understandable like you don't need to but playing for uh pl playing in tournaments dude like that's something that you should be doing and like honestly uh if you hate it or not like like online tournaments are the move like i i, I can't explain this enough i know some people are going to be like well i hate online online is so like it's so annoying like it, you just gotta play and like get used to it and like you'll you'll enjoy it eventually if like you actually like play and you actually just like sit down on the computer and not complain about it you'll probably like actually enjoy it because like people will play like the first like three games on ladder and be like oh rated sucks like these people are just like oh it's just like no like dude like you only played them for like you only played them for like a couple like like a couple matches and you're complaining because you haven't even reached to like top 100 and like actually enjoyed it because you versus very good people i feel like very decent people once you get to top 100 and it becomes enjoyable at that point but of yeah. course the first the first couple rounds are hell but like they're not hell if, you, if you're not like if you're not extremely knowledgeable in the game then they're not hell like there there's a lot to be learned there's a lot yeah. to be learned uh, like like I play every time I, I get in, I get into a pretty much a call with one of my students and we get on like and like we're coaching and like we play games on rated and like like we'll play games on rated and we'll and like we'll go through like we'll go through the matches and we'll go through the replay and we'll watch like what we could have done better. And like there, there's stuff that you could learn and you learn rulings, you learn stuff like that. Like that's the stuff that people don't understand. Like that's like a benefit is like learning rulings through interactions right. and, uh, by, by playing on DB. Cause you learn these rulings. But when they, when it's automated, you don't learn these rulings. When it's automated, it's just whatever, la 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 la. Like the computer's doing everything correctly. But like when you're on dueling book and you la, get into la, a la, judge la, call, I love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, it, 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 it's it's real. Like, it's like a real interaction. Like now when you go to an event, you know that rule. You understand the interaction. Like right, it's right. not like like there like with automated play, there is some good things. Don't get me wrong. There's a it, it pretty much makes things super complicated. 
for for the basic player, I, I I feel like that's very good. It makes it like like pretty much to where like it like it, it plays itself, dude. Like the game literally plays itself at points. Like yeah, I understand yeah. that you make the interactions, you make the moves, but like you don't understand the ruling sometimes. It's a lot and faster, like, but issue. that doesn't necessarily make it better. Yep, doesn't necessarily make it better. Like you'll you'll still learn a lot more on dueling book because it's all manual. Yeah, you'll learn for sure. you'll learn you'll learn how to play like in a proper in, in the proper way and it's crazy and like and like dealing with like it's crazy dealing with like the sharks and the scumbags uh sorry sorry for the language i forgot but uh yeah dealing with like people like that on dueling book it's like a perfect example when leading to events because like like scenarios like that will happen to you irl unfortunately but like that's the truth yeah yeah so like, just gotta, like, like it prepares you so, like, so, so like, like it really does prepare these, you in such a way yeah like it, it prepares you for like the worst scenarios as well like because those scenarios do happen in real life like yeah like like it's human interaction like there's a text box you speak to your opponent you're interacting with your opponent there's like no other system where you're interacting with your opponent you're not interacting with your opponent on master duel you're not interacting with your opponent on like these other like automated play systems like you're interacting with your opponent on dueling book right right so i'm gonna, I'm gonna try not to try not to keep you too much longer because we've had you for like a full hour now and you know we but we do have a couple more questions if you got time you got time yes i, I got time I'm okay here. cool awesome so um there's a couple of things that are a little bit more nuanced that I'll, I'll be honest, this might not be the best platform to try to go into these because there's no, there's not really a visual to this, but I think they are kind of important questions and they get a little bit more into the theory things. But so how do you make a call on whether or not to shotgun an effect? Like for instance, like you have Lancia in your hand, right? Like, do you wait till they commit to the board for Lancia or do you wait to, you know, do you just shotgun and standby? Same thing with like DPE with Scythe. Like, do you just do it in standby or do you kind of wait or things like that, um, right? Okay. Uh, this is the best way I can put this. If I'm bursting Dragon Link, I'm not using Lancia until they activate Chaos Space or until they use Safer Effect because I know that they have to do one of those things to accomplish the other, which summon white or black. So they use safer, they summon it to the board, they tribute it as cost, they add white or black, and then you Lancia them, and they could just be stuck at that point. Or your opponent goes chaos based, pitch a, a like a dark, add white, and then you chaos based on or then you Lancia on resolution. Because like like now, like that can potentially make it like it potentially makes them neg one and pass their turn. Like, cause let's say I shotgun Lancia against the dragon matchup and they have safer in hand. Well, now they're probably gonna be like, well, I'm just gonna summon this safer and turn it into a striker dragon. And then I'll special summon my tracer out my hand with boot sector launch. Right. So, like so in those matchups, match you have up. to like make the like you you have to know like what matchups correct against, which matchup it's not correct against. Now that pros like now that like desires is now at one, like it's gonna be very rare where I'm gonna think of being like, huh, I'm gonna shotgun it. Because before it was like, you know what, I'm gonna shotgun it because of desires. Well, like now it's like, okay, what matchup are you gonna shotgun it against? Like I would shotgun it against Infernoids. Because like th they play extravagance and they play like maybe prosperity and like their whole deck vanishes. So I'm like, you know, what? against that matchup, I guess I'll land here. I think but, that like, the counterpoint is that in the adventure decks, they can just the first move they make can be water enchantress because they can if like if they have gamma in hand, they can it, do something, which I guess if they have gamma, they've got it. In this, got it, in this you know? format, in this format, like if you're versing Phantom Knights, sure. Shotgun it because 
you're right. They could be playing Water Enchantress. Yeah. You're right. You could just you could just shotgun it right then and there. But the issue is with that, and like, the, but the issue is with that is like, if your opponent knows that like, like knows that you just landed them, they're gonna play their hand to their best ability to play around it now. Well, as of before, like, I understand that you just stopped that Water Enchantress, but like, honestly, in my opinion, I don't know if I would have done it there because like, I, I would probably do it like if. I'd probably do it once they make Cherubini and Sun because majority of the time, like they're gonna have a way to Cherubini and like if they just go for Water Enchantress into Rights and activate Rights, and as soon as they go Griffin Effect, I'll just go, I'll just go Lancia. Like it's fine, it's not that big of a yeah. deal because like, like it, it, it's whatever at that point in my opinion. Like if they had Water Enchantress, they had it, but majority of the time they're probably gonna just have a way to Cherubini, and you could probably Lancia him there for everything. Like yeah, and like and like usually in those in those scenarios it's even better because like they probably use a Phantom Knight, then they summon a level three, then they summon Cherubini, then Cherubini sends the Water Enchantress, and then now when you Lancia them they have Water Enchantress and their Phantom Knight that engrave. It's just like yeah. pretty good. Like I'm about to end this man's whole career. Yeah, like I usually <laughs> like taking getting value out my cards, and like I feel like that's how I would use my Lancia majority of the time, try to get as much value as I can as possible. Like there's like I said some matchups like Infernoid you'd probably shotgun it against. But other than that, like I just don't know what other matchup you would probably shotgun it against, especially now that Desires is that one. Like before, it was like, man, maybe you do shotgun it because against like the virtual world deck, you'd be like, forget, I'm gonna shotgun it now because they played cards like Desires and like they banish a lot. And but, they can get so much more value off the Desires with the Nanyan. Yeah, so I mean, now it's just it's probably just correct to like hold it in majority of the scenarios. I feel. I feel like that kind of probably goes with not just with Lancia, but like other cards too, like Scythe DB. Just kind of try to hold it, be a little conservative, and maybe get a little bit more out of it, right? Yeah. Uh, usually you want to be conservative with stuff like that. But like if my opponent just like didn't hand trap me at all the whole like th the whole time, like my opponent didn't hand trap me, like I'm going to go for the play. Like let's say like if I have a way to play around droplets, I'm going to play around droplets. Like in the Phantom Knight deck, there's a way to play around droplets and resolve Scythe DP. Then I'm gonna go for it. But if I don't have a way to play around droplets, I'm not gonna shotgun my DPE. Yeah. Like let's say let's say like I have break sword in my graveyard, right? And I have scythe on the like uh, or and I have, I mean, yeah. I feel like if you see like yeah, I feel like you could just always like shape your your play up in the fan of my deck to play around like droplets. So I feel like that's not a good scenario. So like I feel like shotgunning it majority of the time with Scythe DP is like the move because like there's usually ways to play around droplet like in the other deck they they have Herald on the board but like if your only play is like Scythe DP that's your only only play then yeah I guess like I, I guess you don't shotgun it but like either way you're losing to droplets but yeah. you don't shotgun it to the fact that you you lose to impermanence you lose to yeah. impermanence if you shotgun it so you might as well just not shotgun it because you're just going to lose to impermanence yeah, it's kind of or funny. Gamma, like, or Gamma, or Gamma Driver. Going. Like you, you really just got to make the reads because, like, a lot of the time, like, there's like, like, there's some people that would just be like, okay, I'm just gonna shotgun my DP now and pop my scythe and then summon my scythe and use the effect. Well, now you you could just get Imperm or you can get Gamma yeah. on the scythe and that's your only line of play. Well, if you if you held your DPE, like, I would probably wait till my opponent summons a monster and like majority of the time people would make the mistake of popping the monster and popping your scythe. No, just pop your DPE, pop your scythe chain block your scythe because this way you don't get belled you go chain link one scythe chain link two dpe you can't get belled uh, unless they want to bell your uh your dpe then you summon back your scythe and then now your opponent has a monster on board so they can't imperm you or gamma you and then use the effect of scythe so like so in that scenario you would probably hold it
You listening, Caleb? Caleb's playing that Phantom Knight with DPE and Scythe for our, our tournament this weekend. Yeah. You listening? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm taking notes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, so, when you're going into these, into these situations where you kind of have to, like, make reads and kind of be a little bit more informed about the deck that you're playing against, how do you figure out kind of what hand traps to play around? Not like not not including searched ones, like because, like I said, Drytron could just search the Herald. Obviously, you're going to play around it at that point, or to the best of your ability. But do you ever just assume, like, you just okay, have to well, make the reads? You have to be like, okay, like th this wise guess. How many cards are you playing? Is that is my number one question before starting the duel? Oh, sixty. Yeah. Okay, my opponent has now used a hand trap on me. I have a, a line that that plays straight into Nimbiru. My opponent has now used a single hand trap. Let's say Ash Blossom or Ogre or one of those. And he has four cards in hand and he's playing 60 cards. The odds of him having Nibiru, very slim. I'm just going to go for it. That's that's usually like, like I'm just going to put it on, on better habit. Like, because like math says otherwise, like I try to do yeah. the math sometimes to figure it out. Like what's the chances? Um, uh, let's say uh, like the, the YCS previous to this, everyone was playing the Sword Soul deck, but guess what? Everyone was playing 10 cards in their deck. And what conflicts with Tenny cards? Nimbiru. So every time I versus the Tenny Sword Soul deck, I wasn't playing like around Nimbiru because like the majority of the players weren't playing Nimbiru because it conflicted with their Tenny cards. Yeah. So like it's just like making like the correct read and like and like sometimes it's like like some cards cancel out of cards. Like when your opponent goes Pandemonium, you should know that your opponent cannot activate Nimbiru. So like you should be crossing out scenarios. Like like there was a really go good duel like uh, that I had against Shun Ping not in this YCS, but the YCS previous where I got fourth in, we had played in like round eight. And there was a scenario where he had Ash Blossom to me and he had, and he had, he had an Omen face up and he had a DPE face up. And I had realized he didn't pop his own DPE. He had popped another card on his field to destroy my card. So I immediately read that my opponent didn't have Nibiru because he kept his DPE face up. Because in any other scenario, you destroy your DPE if you have Nibiru in hand. Right. So like right sense, there yeah. was an immediate read that he didn't have Nibiru in his hand. So I, I immediately played around it. Yeah. Um, I have another one, which is kind of in tune with the combo line thing. Um, and kind of like making the read. Do you have a particular process that you go through in your mind when you decide what combo line to go down with a deck? As, yeah, just I literally as go through every line. I go well, through every line. Like, I, well, I can't even explain enough. Like, I run through every scenario in my head, like, like before making a move. And it's crazy, like, and it's and it's hard, like, to just run through every scenario. But, like, if you play a lot, and, like, you played, like, good enough, like you can literally like go through like every scenario like as fast as you can in your head. And like today I was playing a money match actually, and like I I ran through almost every scenario. I I'm like, and like, I had gotten embirrued. I had gotten embirrued, and I had played through it. I had played through it. I had summoned Shatana from my hand. I had special summoned it. I had normal summoned Ogre. I had made Yazi, and I Yazi popped my opponent's uh Nimbiru, and I summoned Taye. And I had Hara and Shatana in Graveyard. And I used Taiye Effect to banish my monk. Because I was like, man, I need I don't have any more monks in my extra deck. I might as well banish one so I can put it back with Hara. And I, I get Ogre. 
And then I realized, man, there was a scenario where I could have played around Ogre. I had literally just played through Ash Blossom. I played through Ash Blossom, Heratic Seal, Nibiru. And then at this point, like, there was a way to play around Ogre, and I just didn't see it. And it was literally to banish Shatana off of uh, off of Taie, because the the way I summoned Shatana earlier was off of Hara. So I could have yeah. banished Shatana off of uh, I could have banished Shatana off of Taie. So if he ogred me, I would have had Hara to add back the Shatana, and then I could have summoned Shatana out my hand, and I could have synchroated. And I just didn't see that play till like till like after. But yeah, that's a yeah. scenario. Like I could I could have saw him like like those lines have to run through your head during an event. Like because so, if they don't, it will cost you a game. Like it just cost me that. It cost me that game. It cost me that game earlier. So but, like. A good example, though, of what I mean is, like, let's say you sit down, you win the die roll, and you're going first, right? Your mm -hmm. opening hand, and this is just this is literally just an opening hand that I drew with my current deck. Mm -hmm. Your opening hand is something like Moyi, Longyan, Ashuna, and then Ash and Ghost Ogre, right? So that hand is infinite possibilities, right? So how yeah. do you sit down and look at a hand like that and just decide what your first play is when there's so many options um it's like turn zero yeah i just read every scenario that could happen so what i would do is normal summon moye reveal long yon and the reason why i would normal summon moye reveal long yon is because okay usually in the sword soul deck when your opponent normal summons moye and reveals they usually reveal like another card that's not long yawn because you want your opponent to imperm or valor you and then like in response to that on resolution you would summon your long yawn and go first and grow it anyways revealing the long yawn pretty much like makes your opponent think man this might be their only play like why would you reveal long yawn and like there's a higher chance that you get imperm or valor on your moye at this point and then right and then in the scenario, like, they're, like, and, like, if I don't get Imprimder Veiler, that's fine. My Moye just resolved, which is great for me because now I'm making a Synchro 8 and I'm drawing the card. Or yeah. I could summon my Long Yawn and make Baron and then then do Moye, which which is probably what I would do. I, I, like, at that point, I would probably would, if that did resolve, I would probably summon Long Yawn, discarded Hara. Or, uh, yeah, Ashuna, I mean. Yeah. Because you had Ashuna, right? Yeah, Ashuna. So yeah, discard a Shuna, summon itself, and then from that from that point on, I would probably go for a, for a Baron, and then go a Shuna, summon Adhara, make Monk, make make Shishao search Blackout, add back follow up with the Adhara, set the Blackout pass because that just plays around everything in the safest way possible. And then so I have. It's crazy that you say that because what's funny is is. My first line that I think of when I see that hand is completely different. My first line that I think of is summon Ashuna, make a monk, normal summon one of my hand traps, and then go for a Hockey Fibrax line. And then I've got Long Yan Moyi for follow up. You know? And I know that it's a completely different line, a completely different train of thought. But, um, and what you said is honestly probably correct is to use the Moyi for bait. That oh, way. it's the safest line because because uh, um, that's just one scenario. If I if I get imprimatur veiler or if I don't like or if they do the, like the scenario I just said is if they do nothing. Well, if they imprimatur veiler me, then I summon long on discard a shuna. Then after that, I can make a synchro eight, right? And then yeah. I could, and then from there I could, uh, from there I can add blackout, and that, that plays around Nibiru because that's four summons exactly. So now I have Blackout, Shishao, plus two hand traps, and I just played around in beer. 
Okay. And then there's other scenarios where it's like, okay, let's say they don't impermeable me. Let's say they ogre me, which I even thought of. So if they ogre me at this point, I go special summon long yawn, discard, discard a Shuna. Then I, then I turn the long yawn and the token into Baron. And then I use, I use the Ashuna in my graveyard to summon Shatana. Then I use Shatana and I use the token to make a Synchro 8. Then that Synchro 8 is Shishao and that searches me for Blackout. And then I end on, and then I end on all of it. Blackout, the Synchro 8, Baron, and then two hand traps in my hand. And that, and that's if I want to play around the beer. Now let's say my opponent is playing 60 cards. And I know what deck they're playing, and I, I like I have a, a like a strong feeling they don't have Nibiru. Well, then at that point, I'm just gonna go special summon Shatana from my deck, and then then turn my Long Yon and my token into the new Synchro Ten, and then summon Shishao, then draw a card, then search for Blackout, and then that's four interruptions now, plus Blackout, plus two hand traps in my hand. Yeah, yeah, and, and see. That kind of brings me to another question, which was actually not one of the questions we had written down, but now I'm curious. Um, so how do you decide when to risk it for the biscuit, so to say, right? So how do you decide when you're like, okay, I see this. I'm like, for example, I think that like if going into a Hauke Fibrox line early has the highest chance of ending in like a crazy board, just because Hauke Fibrox is just broken. Um, mm -hmm. so how do you decide when to just jump into one of those lines? Or do you mainly try to keep those crazy blowout lines more of like follow up? And in this deck, I try to keep it as follow-up. Like, my main goal in this deck is to pretty much play in the safest way uh, uh, safest way possible. Now, there is hands where there's only one line, and you just have to go for it. But, like, th the way I just sequenced my hand, I just sequenced it to play around literally every single hand trap. Because if I got Impermed or Baylord, I knew what to do. If I got Ogred, I knew what to do. And there was never a scenario where I got Nimbiru there. <laughs> there just wasn't a scenario where I got Nimbiru there. I played around it every single time. This truly proves that some people are just built different. <laughs> like, I, well, I mean, it's just just hearing your train of thought on it versus when I first picked up the deck and I first start doing things is just completely different, right? It's a and, completely different. It's a completely different type of playstyle, type of deck for this format specifically because everyone's trying to go for this sort of combo line where I'm trying to go for some sort of like control based line that plays around hand traps very well because like in this format, I think like everyone's playing like like a ridiculous amount of, of hand traps and like and i wanted to play a deck that played through those hand traps in the best way shape or form and like i wanted to play a deck that could pretty much like play in the correct pattern and usually like like the, a lot of the cards in my deck were cards that allowed me to play through hand traps even more like circle just allowed me to play through ogre and valor and imperm a lot like like a lot yeah. better even like through nib and, and even certain interactions going second like dpe or heretic seal which comes up a lot actually and um another card which is actually really strong right now as a, a follow-up card is actually uh vessel vessel is probably like one of the strongest cards right now because uh That's before so before it wasn't because like a lot of people were playing like like imperm valor but in, like in this format everyone's playing ogre nib and like ogre when you ogre a normal summon you end on a token and when you end on a token you could activate vessel yeah so, i hate i hate vessel so much oh so, dude that card's so broken <laughs> the vessel vessel's ridiculous and if you get nimbiru well vessels like vessel literally allows you to continue to synchro play like synchro plays like you yeah, get vessel, Adatara, you're like the best Adatara, card in your synchro. deck <laughs> yes yeah, uh, summon fiber or you can go for like or you can go like special summon of a shootout your hand then use ashuna from the grave summon adhara and then after that you make a synchro eight like there's just like so many different lines you could do with like with those cards and like that's how i built my deck so like if i got ogre 
well, if I got ogred, I had I had Vessel in my deck, I had Circle in my deck, I had uh, a, a Shuna and Shatana because because if I get ogred, those all get me to Shatana and uh, Shatana is a synchro eight. So all those cards allowed me to play through ogre, right? So yeah. so now uh, I had three three Circle, three Emergence, three Long Yawn, and all those cards allowed me to play through through Imperm. So and Imperm Regular. So like so. I had nine ways to play around Imperm Baylor. I had ten ways to play around Ogre in in my main deck. Yeah, like to play through those cards. So like it was just very hard for me to ever lose in one hand trap. It, it just like rarely ever hand trap happened. And like and like the thing is about the Sword Soul deck, like like usually it's one hand trap that they they get to use on you, and then like the, the second hand trap is very like underwhelming. Yeah, it's like Meg One because like it's like ah, do I Baylor the Shishao now? Oh, do I Imperm the Shishao because I'm Imperming a negate? Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. That's... Like like the deck is like you get super rewarded for playing super correct. And like like the the like the, the match I lost was literally to like getting side DPE'd. I opened zero hand traps. And like the math like says otherwise I should open one like ninety percent of the time, but the ten percent got to me. I yeah. opened zero. It's like there's a ten percent chance I opened zero. And I ate the ten percent. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, to be, I mean, yeah. I mean, to be fair, ten percent is pretty negligible. And, but it just sucks that like over the course of like a fifteen to twenty round tournament, like oh, it's going to happen. It had happened in top cut, and it had to happen against yeah. the, the base deck. That's the difference. Like it could yeah. have happened against any other matchup in top cut, but it can't happen in this matchup against the yeah, base deck. That just Where, sucks. Like, like let's say I found like in my hand that I opened, my hand was great against Prank Kids. I opened. I opened great against prank kids. I opened call by the grave. So against prank kids, that would have been amazing. But against yeah. the base deck, I'm out of there. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, that's just rough, man. Um. Well, I, I got one last question for you, just real quick. Uh. Yep. So, like, what kind of um. Like pre-event rituals or routine do you have? Is there anything like, oh, I go to this restaurant, need or anything like that? Or maybe something that you do to get yourself in the right mindset yeah. for the tournament, you know? Um, I would like to say that the events I had did the best in. I was well rested. I was well hydrated. And um, honestly, like w when going to an event, all I can recommend is when you're eating your lunch, just uh, try not to eat anything heavy, like something that's just going to get you way too filled up and get you like sleepy or tired like you'll get you sleepy it'll get you sluggish and like that's uh not what you're trying to do when you're no turkey because, sandwiches <laughs> yeah because like you don't want to ever like miss a play and like that that would happen occasionally like if you overate so like what i try to do is just stay hydrated like you know eat snacks you know like usually like well, that's what i do just eat a couple snacks like that's it stay hydrated and just stay focused rest is good like rest is always good but sometimes i lack it and for smaller events i lack it more but for bigger events i try not to right um so the last thing we're going to do is this is something we do in every episode uh we like to go over our podcast question of the day we do a new one for every episode so our previous podcast question today because we like to read out the answers that we got and kind of talk if we have a guest with it um, which was, what do you think is the best current, the best deck of the current format and why? A lot of people said different things. My favorite answer was, this is a trick question. There's no way you can fit the name of any singular deck into a whole tweet. That's funny. 
Um, yeah. Um, I even made a joke about it in last in uh, our last episode's description. Yeah, the lot. So, a little bit of a uh, tangent Easter egg for if you haven't seen that, go read of that. But um, I think that a lot of people agree that the pile deck is what they believe is the best deck of the format. I like your insight though, Hani, on uh, specifically going for something with the highest level of consistency. Um, but we have a lot of people saying things like brave prank and based and tiny brave variations, things like that. Um, and then of course we have your, you know, your random answers like warriors and pendulum and more pendulum and Melfi tri brigade and Salamangrate. <laughs> but, um, I'm personally, I said on the last episode that I think that based is maybe, or like the pile is maybe the best deck, but I think that there's maybe more like closer to like a 40 card list that might accomplish it. But I guess at that point you just play Sword Soul 10 because it's way more consistent, you know? Yep. So. Um, if I'm going to say what's the best deck right now, um, I, I would say it's the base deck. Um, yeah. Um, off of just like what people like, I mean, off of just like the format, it, it has the highest ceiling and it, I feel like it plays through the most. Um, but um for me it's like i think you when signing up for a tournament you want to sign up with the deck that's going to be the most consistent that's going to control you're going to be able to control most of your losses and um that's what like i try to accomplish like in a format like this um yeah these decks all have higher ceilings they're all very strong don't get me wrong but um i don't know like consistency definitely plays a part of your tournament and like i feel like there i feel like in in a deck like based or the fan of my deck or like these decks like that are being played right now there's a lot of luck involved as well like a lot of luck is in like a lot of luck is in hope you don't brick because yeah. like there is just like a lot of games where your deck gets the best of you and, and you just lose the tournament because you were like you actually just drew unplayable all like Sometimes it could just be one card off from your hand that, that stops you from winning the game, you know? So Yeah. So this will be our last question, and this is actually the podcast question of the day, and I, but I also would like you to answer it, which is how much of the – when you duel, how much of your duel do you feel is pre-planned combo lines versus improv? So that will be the podcast question of the day, but I'm also really curious to hear your answer specifically, honey. Um. So I feel like – going first um it's a lot of your combo line just based off of like based off of like doing like 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 you have depending on the deck you're playing like if you if you know your combo that's what you're doing like that's that's everyone's first play everyone's first play is actually a combo line 
like it's a line like that your deck does right that's what i would assume like everyone has a certain line in their deck that they go for turn one okay but the thing is what it, what do you do after and like that's where most people struggle most people learn the basic combo line they understand the, the like how to set up the bird uh, the, the board but after that is where where people struggle and and honestly like you might not see it but like if you play a lot and like if you play like every single day and, and you play not like and you play non-stop and and like and you're playing in a consistent level trust me you'll see it from everybody all around all around i'm talking about from everybody even myself like sometimes it'll happen like it'll happen it happens to everybody you'll you'll literally see it like if, if you met like you'll mess up after your turn one play because you you don't know what to do yeah, you don't yeah. know what to do after your turn one play and th that happens a lot especially like when picking up like a new deck so like that's where the testing comes in you prepare for those like those those lines that happen afterwards i would say that a lot of tournament success can be based off of knowing necessarily how to not necessarily improvise and play on the fly although that does play a factor but basically not having to do that right so like being knowledgeable enough about your deck and about your opponent's deck in the format as a whole that when you go into these situations you're not improvising but you're actually playing with intention is that something yes. that you would agree with yes yes you you know the line you know what's you know what's about to happen because you put yourself in you've been in that scenario too many times to not know what's going to happen like you you know what line to go for you're not freestyling you're only freestyling if you just picked up the deck the night before and you're, you're going into the tournament and you only know the combo, like the, the, the main combo going first. <laughs> like, and then after that, then after that, everything after, you're just like, you're pretty much just like figuring out throughout, like, like throughout the tournament. Yeah, yeah but, which is like dangerous. <laughs> which is like dangerous. Which is, which I've, I've done before. I'd never recommend it. Like, like I know people that have top doing that. Um, but no, nah, forget that, dude. Like, like I crash course somebody like a Goki combo and the Goki deck like all in one night right before the 200th YCS, and he topped. <laughs> and he topped. So, wow. Uh, well, Arnold, six months, six months he didn't play, and he became a YCS champion. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So. And it's all thanks to your coaching. That's it. Which we're gonna plug again right here at the end of the podcast. So. Um, I'm not, I don't mean to do your plugs for you, Hani, but I will say if you are interested in coaching from one of the most, probably maybe the most decorated player of the last, maybe four to five years of Yu-Gi-Oh! Is that, yeah. is that a fair thing to say? One of, it's, if not the, it's a, it's an, it's an argument that could be made. Yeah. Is that fair, Hani? Is that, yep, that's fair. yeah. So <laughs> if you would like coaching from one of the most decorated players of the last five years, at least, and a great probably goes down in the pantheon of one of the all-time greats at this point um if you would like coaching from one of the best players in the game please be sure to check out his metafy coaching it is I, i'm gonna be honest i don't know what the prices are i haven't looked but whatever it is it's a bargain so please because i'm just gonna say the information that you're gonna get in that coaching is worth way more it's invaluable it's worth that's waiting maximum gold yeah <laughs> so be sure to check out his metafy in the link down below and of course check out it was luxury games right yep uh you can check out luxury gaming uh 
like on Instagram or on Facebook. We're pretty much all over. We run tournaments, um, luxury gaming. Check us out. Uh, also check out my boy Pack TCG uh, on Twitch, on YouTube. Um, subscribe Absolutely. to him. That that man, that man is the, like the greatest person to learn from. Like if you're up and coming in the game, and like he yeah. he honestly puts out content that other people wouldn't put out like this is this is real Yu-Gi-Oh. this is this yeah, is what yeah. we're actually doing like we, we, we don't we don't sugarcoat things like the, like yeah. i go on there pat goes on there and we talk about what's actually going on in the game like like we don't sugarcoat things pack said he was playing ddd at the ycs what did he do he played ddd at the ycs like yeah. uh, like you know they we're not secretive we're we're here to help the community that's what we're trying to do that's what we're trying to accomplish uh and we're trying to make big things happen uh, for the upcoming, uh, for the like for the future, you know, we're trying to run big tournaments, master duel tournaments. We're we're trying to run IRL tournaments. So check out Pack TCG, and check out Luxury Gaming because uh, we're trying to take the game to the next level. Absolutely. So you will find links to Hani's Metafy, Luxury Gaming, and of course Pack's Twitch channel. If you aren't already following Pack on Twitch. What are you doing, man? Come on. This is this is the best competitive content on the internet, in my opinion, anyway. I've been watching PAX since basically we got back into the game, and he is just an invaluable source of, of competitive content and competitive knowledge. So if you are looking for that, be sure to check all of that out in the description down below. In addition to all of that, in the description down below, you also find, again, our TCG Player affiliate link, our Patreon link, links to our Discord, our Twitter, and everything that you need to get in contact with us. And one last little thing, again, today, as of today, our playmat is for sale on the Imperium Duelist website. If you are interested in getting that, please be sure to go in and check it out. Let us know if you buy the playmat, and we're going to read out the names of the people that buy the playmat on the podcast just let us know that you bought the playmat send us a you know picture of it whatever showing that you bought it and we're gonna put together a list and thank everybody on the podcast personally so um in the meantime thank you everybody so much for listening and we will be back next tuesday with another episode with a whole bunch of new cards yeah a lot of new cards because they're while we were doing this episode, another archetype got released. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So there's more coming. So thank you again, Hani, specifically for coming on. We appreciate it, bud. Yep. No problem. Anytime. All right. Very uh, intellectually stimulating conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one way to put it. It, it made my brain hurt sometimes because it was so <laughs> in-depth. But thank you all so much for listening to today's extra-long episode. And have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.